0: So that's Larry Walters. That's an absolutely 100% true story. Uh, Larry tied a bunch of weather balloons from a military surplus store. It's really funny. If you actually look up the story, this is terrible. He, he like kind of jokes throughout all of his interviews and all this stuff that his girlfriend at the time bought all of the things to make it and went in debt like 5,000 bucks to make it happen. And so he was like constantly thanking her, like thanks to my girlfriend. She made my dreams come true. And I'm like, okay. Uh, I'm glad I wasn't doing their pastoral counseling. Anyways, so, um, but here's the thing about Larry. Here's the part that I absolutely love about Larry. Um, Larry uh, took action on an idea. He did something that, let's be honest, hopefully, most of us in this room would probably not do. Uh, It was definitely uh, maybe an uh, unsafe decision to make, uh, but he did it. And the outcome of that was an impact that was far more than anything he had expected. Um, And and why he did it, or, uh, you know, because, I mean, it took like 20 years for him to, like, decide to do it one day. Um, Actually, one of his neighbors told one of the uh, reporters that came to visit Larry why he did it. and, And here's what Larry said. He said, I just got tired of sitting around. Yes. I'm just going to tell you. This is just, this is a very parent thing to say, okay? And so don't feel pressure that you have to listen. I know my kids don't. But um, this is not a great reason necessarily to do something like that, okay? But you do you. Um, I'm just, you know, that that's fair. You know, he just, he's like, I just got to follow my dream. And my dream is to go flying in a lawn chair tied to, tied to weather balloons. It was like the movie Up, but before the Movie up, So he just got tired and, and so he did it and then what was crazy is from that moment on his life totally changed. I mean he was on Letterman, he was on other late night shows, uh, tons of interviews, even a book deal. Like his life dramatically changed because he took this one action, this one decision to do something different. And I think what I like about this story and I think what maybe I think everybody here in the room could kind of get behind in this story is that uh, this, I, this concept that we struggle sometimes to take action. Right? We we have this tendency to just sit kind of sit back, honestly, and just be comfortable rather than actually to do something. Great example, this is personally for me, is for whatever reason, I don't, this is like a complete waste of ad money for ad companies and products and all this stuff, but I get a bunch of ads on social media and uh, on websites and all that kind of stuff. Uh, for cooking stuff and food, uh, I don't know. Well, now because my phone's right there, I'm probably going to get a lot more ads for food and cooking things. But I get a lot of um, you know cooking-related stuff. And it, like one uh, recently has been uh, Gordon Ramsay trying to sell me some skillets, and you know in his Australian accent, which mine's terrible. But you know he's like, oh, I'll just get in there with them scallops and I flip them up, and oh they look delicious. And I'm like, I'm going to be honest with you, Gordon, they do look delicious. But regardless of what pan I have, I am not capable of preparing scallops like you, man. Um, or another, uh, just a personal favorite of mine is like one of those slow-mo videos. It's like a chocolate cake. And you know, they're slow-mo drizzling chocolate syrup over the chocolate cake. and I'm like, that's, that's fantastic. And then at the end, it's like, it's only two calories. And I'm like, wow, only two calories. Yes, okay, one person got it. That's not true, it was more than two calories, yes. But it makes you want that. Um, but for me, it's, it's so easy for me to sit there and say, the only way I'm gonna get this is if someone else does it for me, okay? Because I'm not gonna be able to go into the kitchen and whip something like that out. It's just not within my abilities. Now, my wife, Stephanie, on the other hand, totally different story. She is like a magician in the kitchen, I don't know how she does it. Um, She, you know, like, when you watch her, and maybe you have people in your life that have this, this ability, but you know, it's just like a pinch of this, and a sprinkle of that, and a little sizzle of that, and before you know it, it's like, wow, that's incredible. She, like, doesn't even believe in measuring cups, which totally defies my expectation, and everything, you know, like she makes, practically everything she makes is just like, boom, like explosion of flavor, and so good, and all that stuff, okay? And then there's me, okay? And my approach to cooking when it rarely happens is like I try to measure everything just right and I try to I have the ingredients and I have the directions and I have my timer and I have it all prepared and then I meticulously, you know, try to put it all together and have it come out the right way. And where Stephanie's, you know, creations are more like boom, mine are more like boo. Okay? Yes. So, and and it doesn't make me envious or anything, but um, I, I uh, you know, obviously there's a part of you that says, "Hey, I would love to be able to make food li- like that." Um, and then one day, a couple weeks ago, I don't know, maybe it was something in the water. I don't know. I just woke up, and for whatever reason, I decided I was going to make breakfast for my family. Specifically, not just you know pour cereal into bowls—that I can do—but I was going to make pancakes. And you're like, well, Taylor, pancakes are like one of the simplest things to make. Yes, for most people. For me, it's challenging. And so for whatever reason this, this day, I decided I was going to not sit on the sidelines. I was not going to sit back and let bre- breakfast be made for me. I was going to make breakfast. And so I went in that kitchen, and I decided I was going to make pancakes like Stephanie makes pancakes. I'm not even going to touch the measuring cups. I don't need those measuring cups and I, went, I put the batter in the little measuring container. Oh wait, well, I, okay, I didn't measure it. Okay, I put it in the measuring container, but I didn't measure it, and I put it under, and I just you know, put the water in the batter you know, until it just felt right, okay, and then I threw them on the little griddle there, and I flipped it when it just felt right. I didn't time it or anything, and I'm telling you, I have rocked pancakes for the last few weeks. Amazing, okay? <laughs> and here's what I realized, and this could be very helpful for you. Maybe this is like the most helpful thing you'll get out of today, I hope not, but maybe. What I decided was, upon reflection, Stephanie cooks like it's gonna be great. I cook trying to prevent failure. Very different approach. And I can see where if you approach something, anything really, cooking or whatever, with the mindset, the heart set, that I'm just gonna try to prevent it from failure, I can see where you'd rather just sit on the sidelines. Versus if you go into it saying it's gonna be great. And then the, like a few days later, we had uh, some leftover steak and mushrooms and veggies and stuff. And I'm telling you, I threw together omelets. <sighs> you know how Jesus walked on water? <laughs> that was my equivalent. <laughs> I'm just telling you, both in taste, look, and everything. I'm tell- Steph doesn't give me a lot of kudos for making pancakes. I got kudos for those omelets, y'all. I mean, Wow, I don't know what, something's gotten into me, okay? I think, I think I'm ready to move up to the big leagues. I may even start with some toast next week, okay? So, all right, so here's my point. Sometimes, sometimes, we need to do something different. Sometimes we need to try something new. Sometimes we need to get out of our comfort zone over our fear and just do it rather than waiting on the sidelines for somebody to fix it, somebody to make it happen on our behalf. I mean, how many of you, like me, cook like you're going to fail or you're trying to prevent failure so then you don't cook at all? How many of you, you might be in leadership or you have some influence over other people, how many of you tend to lead like you're going to fall short? rather than moving the ball forward, and so you just stay quiet? How many of you work like what you're doing is worthless, and so you don't even put much energy into it? How many of you, I'm just curious, regardless if you're Christian or not, how many of you tend to approach faith, God, and Jesus expecting someone else to tell you where to be, what to do, when to do it? That you come here and kinda just expect me to give you all the answers to the test. Or sometimes, this is the environment I grew up in, is we make faith a routine or a liturgy, if you grew up in church. We make it a routine, and so long as you do the routine, you can feel like you did it right. When really, you need to be out there losing the measuring cups, losing the answer key, and just trying to flip some pancakes. I think sometimes we're missing out. This week we had a little Bible study at one of the meetings and, uh, and uh, we looked at a very, very well-known story and I just was, I left... Um, just really feeling like that's the story we need to talk about today. Even though for some of you, you're like, oh my gosh, Taylor, you've preached the story a million times, I grew up hearing the story a million times. Some of you, it's your first time, but I can see where for a number of you, this is like your hundredth time hearing this story. But I just thought we really needed to talk about it. And so I'm gonna read it. I'm not gonna put it on the screen. I just want you to hear it and imagine it. I think that's just so important. Imagine how you feel, what you see in your mind as I read this very, 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 very famous, can't emphasize it enough, Story, Okay? It's only a few verses. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near Jesus to listen to him. We're in Luke chapter 15, if you're curious. Um, Coming near Jesus to listen to him, all right? And, And by the way, tax collectors and sinners are two different groups because tax collectors are sinners, but they're like sinners against the nation of Israel. And so, Every time, like you read in the Gospels, a lot of times they'll be differentiated. They're not all sinners. There's like the tax collectors have a special sinner bucket. And then there's the, the normal average day Joe sinners, okay? So they came next to Jesus, the people who were untouchable, the people who everybody kind of knew they weren't good enough. So you got them. And then the Pharisees and the scribes began to complain, saying, this man, Jesus, receives sinners. And not only that, he eats with them, he greets them, he embraces them, he talks to them, they, he treats them like they're people and then he'll even sit and eat with them like their people. Can you believe that? And so Jesus responded telling them this very, very famous parable. He said, what man among you, is he, excuse me, what man among you, if he has 100 sheep, has lost one of them, does he not leave the other 99 in the open pasture and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he puts it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me. I'm rejoicing. We all need to rejoice because I have found the sheep that was lost. Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents, who changes direction. That's what repentance means, to change directions, to choose a new path, than over the 99 righteous people who have no need of repentance. Y'all, that's just such a feel-good story. We've talked about this before. Like, and it's such a feel-good story, and I think so many people like this story because it is so relatable. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not at all, it's just, that, that imagery is so wonderful to think about. To think about the times and the seasons or the moments or the days in life, maybe even right now, where you've had a bit of a pit in your heart, a bit of a darkness in your heart. You're just not feeling so great about yourself, great about life, great about where you're going, what you've done, and to think in the you know, midst of that season, in the midst of mistakes and misspoken words, in the midst of a season of feeling alone or unworthy or outcast or misunderstood, in the midst of that season of maybe feeling apart from God or apart from family or relationships, that somebody, would not only just, you know, pat you on the back, they'd come and get you. And they'd pick you up. And they'd make you feel safe again. And they'd tell you that you are loved, that you're forgiven. And not just by anybody, but God, creator of the universe himself. And I don't know about you, but gosh, just sometimes, a lot of times actually, I feel like I need that story little bits throughout the day and certainly some seasons of life. And Jesus is like to his audience and really to all of us in here, that's God. And that's God's love. And that's how powerful God's love is. Is to go out and get you and bring you back home. And not just bring you back home but rejoice in the midst of it, and then invite other people to rejoice. I mean, how would, that, how would that feel for you in one of those darker seasons of life to just not only get picked up and loved and embraced by God, created the universe, but then brought in to have a whole party just about how much God loves you and that you're no longer lost, but you can be whole again and restored and redeemed and loved. Gosh, it just sounds so good and it feels good. And for some of us, that's where the message needs to stop. I mean, that's what you need to take away today. But for those of us who may be doing okay, who may not be feeling like the biggest sinner in the room or shamed or in a bad place, there's something else that I hope you take away. Because on one hand, this is like a feel-good story, but I think there's actually kind of a sad part to this story. And to me, the sad part of Luke 15 is the fact out of all of these characters, here I put a list of all the characters in the story together. There's a shepherd, and in a parable, somebody's always God, and somebody's always you, and you gotta kind of put yourself into who are you in the story. And I would encourage you to do this with this story as well. And I think the great thing about parables is it can change. Sometimes we tend to live like other characters, and sometimes we tend to live like another set of characters, and so it can change, but it can still mean something. Out of all of these characters, we've got one shepherd who's Jesus, we've got 99 sheep who are the righteous, who are the good ones, who are with the shepherd, they're not lost. The lost sheep, which is the sinner, and then the friends and neighbors. Out of all of these people, all these people, 99% of all of them are not looking for the lost sheep. 99% of them are sitting, waiting for somebody else to do the work. You literally, out of 99 sheep and a bunch of friends and neighbors, one is out there looking. That's too bad, I think. It's too bad. That so many people would sit on the sidelines when someone was lost. But we also kind of know that is how life goes sometimes, isn't it? That's been our experience sometimes isn't it? I've shown this picture before. Um, I took it in Israel. The trip was expensive, so we're just gonna keep using this picture over and over again because then it makes it worth it, right? Haha! <laughs> it's like $100 a pop every time we show it. I don't know. Okay, um, so you look at this picture. There are, in this picture, uh, this is in Palestine, um, and this is what would be, quote unquote, called the wilderness, but there's plenty of pasture-ish um, to be worked. And in this picture, Uh, There are sheep and a shepherd. Thus I took the picture because I knew I would use this many times as a sermon illustration. And you can see it from where you're sitting right now. But I'm guessing you're probably gonna have a difficult time picking it out. It's not easy to find a lost sheep in this environment. I also don't think it's easy to say, yeah, there's a lost sheep somewhere out here. Let's go get them. I mean, unless you're really an outdoorsy person and you're like, this looks like a fun adventure. And some of you know the geography of, of this part of the world and uh, it is very common for torrential rainfalls to uh, take people out um, and take whole herds out. Um, but the Palestinian people, um, because they're so impoverished, many of them still shepherd, all everywhere we would just be driving and there'd be shepherds and, and there are flocks out there. Um, But yeah, so the shepherd and the sheep are right here. So in the uh, middle left side, they're right there. They're not even that far away. But it's really difficult to see them. The only reason I knew they were there is because they were like the bushes that kept moving. And I figured out that um, they were sheep and a flock and a shepherd. But think about how much work you'd have to go to if I said, hey, we're on a tour we're taking a class out over there in Israel and I say, hey everybody, okay, there is a sheep. I've hit it somewhere in the desert, go get them. You know, there's no friend, uh, friend sheep finder app, you know. It's just gonna be hard work. It's just gonna be uncomfortable, time, getting sunburned, running out of water, spend a lot of energy and money and opportunity cost away from work and everything else trying to find the one sheep That's lost. So wouldn't it just be easier? Wouldn't it be easier if the 99 helped? Like what if the 99 sheep wouldn't have just sat there grazing? What if the 99 sheep would have helped the shepherd look? Think about that. Think it'd go faster? Of course it would go faster. One versus 100 people or sheep, individuals out there looking for the lost sheep. But it'd be hard for the 99. Because the 99, let's be fair, they're kind of comfortable. Sitting there, minding their own business, keeping their heads down, just looking for the next patch of brushy desert grass to eat. In fact, this could be, for those 99, some of the hardest work they have ever done before. This could be the first time those sheep ever had to think not of their own needs, but of the needs of others. But the cool thing is, if they did, the lost wouldn't be lost much longer. That'd be cool. That'd be great, wouldn't it? If you were the lost sheep, wouldn't you like it to find out that 100 sheep, 100 people were out looking for you versus one? And you know what I think is even more important? How those 99 sheep would grow through that experience. Because if you think about hiking through the desert, trying to find a single sheep, how would you feel? Well, I bet at first you'd feel something to the extent of, I'm a sheep, not a shepherd. I can't help with this. The shepherd does the work, tending the flock. They might have a lot of experience or training to do the shepherd work. I don't. I can't do this. That's probably where you'd start. And then as you were hiking for a few hours, then you'd probably start to get a little uh, bitter, especially if it went into the next day and you had to overnight in the desert. You'd probably start to get a little bitter, a little angry, having to work so hard, having to change and adapt to help a lost sheep, wouldn't you? Because for years, the shepherd did the work, and now you're having to chip in too, and this is not that much fun. It's more comfortable just to kind of show up for an hour or two on Sundays than to, Oh, we're talking about sheep. It's uh, easier for the shepherd just to sit there, you know, and you just sit there and let the shepherd do the work for you, right? And eventually you get to the point where you start to get bitter about that lost sheep, right? Because that sheep, I mean, how in the world did they get themselves into this position in the first place? I bet it was their own fault. I'm not even gonna think about how it could have just been an accident. It was totally their intentional fault. They weren't smart enough. They weren't wise enough. They didn't think enough. They didn't listen to the shepherd enough. It was all their fault. And now I have to suffer, suffer, suffer for the inconvenience that the lost sheep is causing me sure none of you have ever in person or online thought such a thing about a coworker or your boss. Definitely not a family member because you're all above that. But hypothetically, if you weren't, about a week into the desert, I'm guessing what would have happened as the search drug on is you'd start to humble yourself. And instead of being so bitter and upset at the unfair situation you've put yourself or found yourself in, you'd start to maybe, I don't know, appreciate the work that the shepherd does for you more than you ever have before. And that might just be a good thing. That might just make the, the flock a healthier flock than it's ever been before. In fact, you may even go a step farther. You may even begin to realize that if this were you, you'd really appreciate a hundred sheep out there, 99 sheep out there looking for you. And you'd start to humble your heart and soften your heart a bit to realize, I bet that lost sheep feels lonely. I bet that lost sheep feels isolated. I bet you'd start to think, well, if I found that sheep today, that sheep's life would be very different. And I can be a part of helping that lost sheep experience something totally new that they haven't experienced in weeks and change, if not save, their life. And if you were the lost sheep, you'd probably be sitting there thinking, gosh, if only somebody would find me. I'd so appreciate them more deeply. I'd love them more deeply. I realized I shouldn't have done that thing that I did, but I'm so glad that these people were out looking for me and they found me and they brought me home. And not only that, they did so and they rejoiced and they were kind and they were compassionate and grace-filled about it. I bet that could be possible, don't you? To end up, when that lost sheep was found, being a healthier flock than they were when that sheep went missing. Because that, the reality is, by doing sometimes, I think a lot of times, by doing, you'll start transforming. With a cool background. We transformed the background. By doing, you'll start transforming. Sheep become more like shepherds. They start to have the heart of a shepherd. They start to become more like the shepherd, who in this case is Christ. They become more like Christ, which is the point. As the church, we are his sheep, yes, to him. But to the world, we are his body. We are him, we are Christ to the world. To the lost, we are the shepherd. We are Christ on earth. That's why Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, he said, go therefore, not just to some people, but to all the nations and make disciples. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and, big and, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you you're now the shepherds go get them just a few chapters later or earlier excuse me in Luke chapter 10 we kind of oversimplify this verse but it but it's a kind of a a, a well-known little passage here Jesus sends out his disciples he sends out his flock he sends out his sheep to go reach the lost people The Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We need more workers. We need more sheep. There's not enough. And then I love this, go. And so they're like, all right, let's go. And they start going. And as they're going, he says, behold, I am sending you out along." uh, out like lambs in the midst of wolves. Go get them. What? Say that again. We're what among what? Lambs among wolves? Because that's just Jesus. I mean, he's just honest. Yes, you are lambs. You are sheep, and I am sending you out. And you're not just mature sheep. You're lambs. You're vulnerable. You don't know enough. You're right. You're not experienced enough, you're right. You may get hurt, absolutely, that's possible. But your Lord, your King, who has given his life for you, says go. And in the end, because this is what Jesus knows, this is what God knows, in the very end, in the worst case of worst cases, God's got your back. It's called everlasting life. He's gonna redeem you, he's gonna bring you back. It's all gonna end up fine in the end. But yeah, in your doing, you will transform, you will be transforming, but it's going to be hard. It's going to hurt. You're going to have to change. But you're probably going to be better for it, and so is everybody else. And you kind of know that, don't you? You kind of know that you'll be better for it. In the end, Jesus will take care of you. So in the meantime, get out there and start flipping some pancakes. Or if you are here in week one, start flipping some tables. Learn and grow through doing that. Just throw some water and flour together and see if you can get it right. Go into it not thinking, oh, I just I wanna do it just so right, you know, I need to like have all my biblical education done and all this before I can talk to people about what God has done in my life or whatever the situation is, okay? Or, you know, I gotta have all my God thing figured out before I can go and be kind to other people, what? Before I can be patient to other people, what? You know, before I can forgive other people? Well, you gotta have Jesus figured out before you can go and love, like Paul said we should love one another, to be kind and patient, forgiving, give mercy. We never questioned that part, but that's absolutely 100%, especially in Paul's mind, the most important thing. And I think Jesus actually said as a great commandment to love God and to love your neighbor, So let's just do it, even though it's not easy. By doing, you will start transforming. Or or you can sit on the sidelines, and you can try to protect yourself against fear and failure and everything that's holding you back. Or sometimes, and I've been in this place as well, and none of this is bad, but I think it's we kind of also know in our heart at the same time we're kind of only having it a little bit. We're not, we're not going 100%. We're kind of just going you know 20%. You know, Like sometimes people will, hey, I'm gonna support you and they'll send you a nice text. Hey, praying for you. That's, that's great. I think it's great that you're praying. But are you doing? Oh, I'll send you, you know, a little check to help out with this. Oh, that's fantastic. Way to be generous. We're gonna talk about that next week. I love it. But are you actually doing? Have you served the poor that you're financially supporting? Have you met them? Do you know their faces? Because you kind of know that Jesus the shepherd would know their faces and their names. If we're going to help Haiti, as we're going to help Haiti next month, what if you got an opportunity to go and meet the kids who we've helped for the past few years? Would you go? Or would you say, "Oh, I got you know, I got to take off work, and I got all this stuff." Absolutely. But I bet if it's what you're supposed to do, we'll find a way to do it. And I bet it'll transform you. I bet it'll change you. Because that's what Jesus did for us, and that's what He called us to do for others. I said this in week one, and I think it bears repeating. Don't just hope; be hope. Don't just hope that someone's gonna change it, that somebody's gonna make a difference. Be that hope. Because in the process of being that hope, you will become that hope. Jesus didn't say to his disciples when he called them, he didn't say, hey, do it all right the first time. No, he just said, follow me. Knowing that they were gonna mess up and boy, did they mess up how many times? But that's not the point. The point was, are you following me? Because Jesus knew it would be a process. Jesus knew it was gonna take time. And they certainly they hoped, but by the end, as we listened or read in in week two of this series, they became hope. And it was incredible. On your seats, there's this card. It's like, who's my neighbor? Okay? And I I challenge you in week one, like, do you know your neighbor? Like just their names. Like this is your house, and here's all your neighbor's houses. And you're like, well, I live in an apartment. How does that work? Okay. You'll you'll figure it out, okay? Who's your neighbor, all right? But don't just know their names. Know their kids' names. Know their hobbies. Know their workplaces. Build a relationship with them. Get to know them like God knows you. Why? Because God loves you. And I bet some of you, you know some of your neighbors. And so you could fill out a good portion of this. But then my question is, do you know something more personal about them? Their beliefs, their dreams, their hopes, their expectations. Where is their faith at? I don't know. Do you? That's just your neighbor's then take this to the next level. Think about your coworkers. Think about your coworkers. Who are your neighbors in your office? Or if you're a virtual team, go onto your Skype or whatever digital tool you use to chat with people and put their names down. And do you know these things about them? And have you built that relationship with them? Last week I was in Cedar Rapids and I preached somewhat of a similar challenge and I brought these cards along and I challenged them to go meet their neighbors. And what's great for that particular church is they're actually in a neighborhood. So this was such a setup for me. So easy. Cause we don't have neighbors around here. So I can't say like, Oh, go across the street, you know, but out their window, there was a lady sitting on a porch across the street at her house. And I'm like, Hey, just curious, does anybody know her name out of a you know, hundred people right there? And it's like, Uh, awkward. You know, he just called us out. We can't get out of this. This is uncomfortable. And I do it not because I'm trying to call you out. I'm doing it because I care. And I'm like, does anybody know her name? And nobody knew her name. And so this was great. After service, I found out later that three of them went over to talk to her. They heard the action part. They really didn't hear the rest of the part um, about filling out this card. They were just like, hey, we're across the street of the church. Do you wanna come to church tomorrow? I'm like, no, we're not that kind of church You know, and he slammed the door in their face. Well, I think it was like gently, politely slammed the door in their face, okay? But guess what? They learned a valuable lesson, didn't they? They're probably not gonna do that again because how did the parable go? Jesus found the lost one first, he didn't invite him to church. He didn't say, "Hey, come back to the 99. We'll see you at 10:30 on Sunday. It's down the road at the school. Yeah, it's a little different. They meet, they set up and turn out. It's okay, but you know, go to that church, you know, be there." No, he didn't say that. He said, "I got gotcha. you." He cared more for the person than where they were going to be on Sunday mornings. And that's what we should do as well. It's not about Sundays. Jesus didn't say, "Go to service on Sunday." He didn't as much as I would like to say that he did. Get to know them first. Rejoice and care and love and who they are and embrace them and know that they, so they know that they are welcome. They know that maybe just through your actions, God loves them and doesn't condemn them or want to shame them, but to save them and to bring them peace and hope and forgiveness and joy that they haven't experienced in their lives before. The sheep need to be found first. And then, hey, if a church conversation comes up and they're looking for a church that's a great fit and this is a great fit for their church home, fantastic. If another church is a great fit, fantastic. But the goal, the heart, the mission is to find the lost and love them and care about them and be that light in the darkness. Just imagine, if, if anything else, just imagine how much better our world would be your neighborhood would be, your family would be if that was the approach that we took to one another. I just can't, just even imagining families that would look different if their goal wasn't to judge their brothers and their sisters or their spouses or their parents, but to love them like Christ loved the lost sheep. You don't even have to be a Christian. You just know that that's right because it is. Because that's what he called us to. And that's what we, especially those of us who consider ourselves followers of Christ, need to do. Not just to hope somebody will, but to be that hope to the world. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you that you're a God who comes after the lost sheep. That you are a God who did that for the last thousands of years. You did that in such a tangible way of sending your son from heaven to earth to walk amongst us, to show us, to model it, to teach us, to give his life for us so that we could be with you. Lord, help us to realize if we just did that one thing, if we just lived out our faith in that one way, how, how we know that, that you would help us to know how big of an impact that would make, how shocking and bold of an impact that would make, that it would literally draw the attention of late-night shows and and book deals and all that stuff. Just like it putting a balloon on a lawn chair did for Larry. And that we would go for go, go forward boldly, not just trying to prevent ourselves from failing or messing up or saying the wrong things, but we'd go forward. Boldly knowing this is the right thing and that the world needs the right thing. And it may not always be successful or received, but it doesn't make it less right. Help us to know that. Help us to know that pursuing the lost sheep is really the righteous thing to do. It's not to sit back in the open pasture with the other 99. It's what Christ did. And that is pursuing us. Lord, help those of us who consider ourselves followers of your son to do that. And for those of us who are still trying to figure you out, God, help us to recognize and accept in our hearts, open our hearts to the truth that that's the love you have for us, because maybe that's the message we need this morning. Lord, help us to trust that. And in so doing, live that out in our world, in our work environments, in our school environments, in our family environments, especially in our neighborhoods. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Give us the strength to do it. Amen.